Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I'm going to be your host today, joined, as always, by my esteemed co-host, Mike Carter. Mike, the news is fresh. About an hour before we started recording, I saw on Twitter that the White Sox um, have announced that Ken Williams and Rick Hahn will be removed, or I don't know how they exactly worded it, I guess relieved of, of their positions, effective immediately. So, got to get your opinion on this. Tell me, how you feeling? Well, it was really an interesting few days here because there had been a lot of talk and rumor-mongering in Chicago on the radio stations about would Jerry Reinsdorf be interested in selling the team? He's 85. There was some talk about the Sox maybe uh, leaving Chicago altogether and moving to Nashville, was something that they had been intrigued by. There's been some talk that maybe the White Sox and the Bears would share land in uh, the Arlington Heights, the suburb where the Bears are allegedly going to build their next uh, stadium, which we have a dome, we're hearing. Uh, long story short, uh, there have been a lot of rumors going around. And uh, the problem is with the White Sox organization, everyone knows it. And it we're no stranger to pointing it out. They are poorly run. They are good at gathering talent, but they're not any good at creating a team. And we, they've proven that time and time again. So it became pretty apparent over the last few years that the White Sox marched to the World Series in 2005, which is one of the three most important days of my life. The other two being the birth of my children, not my marriage. That's a distant fourth. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in all, in all honesty, um, they, they lucked into that. They, they, they backed into that. It was a, a byproduct of a bad process and they just got lucky. So, uh, I'm hopeful that this means that they're going to move forward with real change, but I'm a White Sox fan and I know that a lot of times the White Sox are the kings of half-assing it. So, my my sneaking suspicion, and I I find it horrifying, is that you know they hired like Chris Getz, who's the director of you know player development, and they they make him be the guy who's in charge. The big rumor around here that everybody is floating and injecting is what right? You know, hey, give the keys to the castle to Theo Epstein. Look what he did in Boston. Look what he did with the Cubs. Could he do that here? I would give him everything if Theo wanted one of my kidneys to run the White Sox. I would give him one of my kidneys. However, I think he really wants to be commissioner of baseball. I, I, I think he'd be a really good commissioner at some point. Um, so unless they give him a huge title and a huge sum of money, I don't know that that's going to happen. In which case, I would be fine settling for, let's say, someone from the Dodgers or the Devil Rays or somebody that – devil though they're not the Devil Rays anymore, the Tampa Bay Rays, I should say, uh, that knows how to really set up a farm system and to develop talent because that's been missing. Look at all the misses that they've had in the last few years. I mean – I think it's fair to say that Yohan Moncada is a miss. I think it's fair to say that Eloy Jimenez has been a disappointment. I think it's fair to say that uh, Michael Kopech has been uh, nothing short of a disaster. Um, and those were going to be the crown jewels of this next phase of White Sox baseball. The only guy worth a darn out of all of them really seems to be Luis Robert, who continues to make great play after great play, no fanfare, hit home runs, terrific player. They don't really have much else. So I'm hopeful, Chris. I mean, I, I'm I'm hoping that you will join me uh, as well, and the Yankees will um, rid themselves of uh, Brian Cashman. 
and you can get somebody new in there too, as long as it's not a guy that I want or a lady that I want for our position. <laughs> right, right. So today it's fair to say it's, it's a good day for you. And, uh, I got to admit, I'm a little jealous because, um, you know, I, I'm hoping, like you said, the same thing happens with the Yankees, though I'm not optimistic. Every report is that Brian Cashman is the guy and he, he's going to keep that job moving forward. So, uh, it is what it is. Uh, but I hope that, uh, I hope the right, the White Sox get back, um, pointing in the right direction here with this new leadership that's going to be coming in. So, uh, happy for you. But anyway, this is not a White Sox episode. Uh, we have a, a really, I, I think a fantastic guest today. Uh, we have Eric Cross, dynasty and prospect writer at Rotoballer and FTN Fantasy. He's host of the Toolshed Pod, founder. Uh, at Toolshed Fantasy, where he has a Patreon. 2021 FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year. Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. I don't, I don't think quite as great as Mike right now. And I, I thought you were going to cry tears of joy, uh, before you started talking, uh, just now. But yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing great, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Are you a fan of a team or are you just more of a general baseball fan? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> I, I am, I'm a Red Sox fan. Um, oh, yep. okay. All right. Yep. But hey, I, I, I love all baseball fans. Hey, if, if you're a baseball fan, you're, you're all good in my book. I've had some of my best, I had one of my best to- talks at a ballpark was a Red Sox Yankees game with a Yankees fan. Well, eh, he's probably, I'd say it was in his forties or fifties. Uh, we were in standing room and just talking baseball. So if we all rooted for the same team, it'd be boring, right? So. I love rivalries. I love talking, you know, get, you know, doing the little, you know, smack talk with, you know, rival fans. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, listen, if you talk to me like 20 years ago, like we, we probably, we'd have some problems, right? Like I'm all decked out in my Yankees gear right now, but it's not the same, right? Like as you, I, I think yeah. for most people, as you get older, especially if you play fantasy and you, you kind of lose that edge a little bit. So I, I'm like you, like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll have fun, go back and forth, but nothing nothing personal. Uh, if you're a Red Sox fan, even though I'm a Yankees fan, but I'd like to learn a little bit more about you, Eric, before we get into some uh, dynasty talk. Uh, I'd like to hear the Eric Cross story. Tell us how you got involved in the industry and and what made you choose to go into the dynasty and prospect space. Yeah, so I started in the industry back in I was right before the season started back in 2017. I had kind of like thought about getting in every now and then, uh, over the years into the industry, kind of, I threw a, a feel out to a couple of sites, nothing ended up sticking, but, uh, my buddy actually sent me, uh, forwarded me an email from, uh, a fan tracks had sent out there just, uh, you know, starting their, at the time it was just called fan tracks blog way back then. Uh, they're starting up their content side looking for writers and my buddy's like, Hey, I know you've been, you've been thinking about this. So maybe you're worthwhile to like send something in. Uh, so I sent in a uh, a, te- uh, a, a trial article, or so to speak, and they liked me and, br- and brought me on. And then, you know, six years later, now here I am. So um, getting into the dynasty and, and prospect side, that kind of just stems from growing up. You know, we grew up about 15, 20 minutes from AA Park here in Portland, Maine. So went to a lot of games with my parents and friends when I was a kid, just I loved seeing like uh, the next, you know, next great stars of baseball, you know, like, and obviously, you know, we were affiliated with the, uh, well, Florida Marlins back then until, 
uh, I forget when this we switched over, like 2005 ish, give or take. And then over, obviously over to Boston ever since. I've seen a lot of great prospects come through, you know, Hanley Ramirez's, you know, Beckett, Josh Beckett, Dustin Pedroia, you know, the list goes on and on. So as the Bogarts, obviously Mookie Betts. So uh, just, just seeing these players like, 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 oh, I saw them back when they were, you know, a not well known prospect. Now they're, you know, one of the best players in baseball. So just, just seeing that element of it and seeing like the next stars, I'm like, Hey, I, I like writing about this. And, I, th- I think back then when I kind of get into it, it, there wasn't, obviously there was people that did it, you know, the James Andersons, Ian Cons, et cetera. But I don't think it wasn't quite as big as it is now. I think it's definitely grown in popularity over the last half decade or so. And I was like, Hey, there's kind of a, not, not necessarily a void, but, um, not quite as big of a market here. So let me, let me just kind of dip my toes into there. And it was back when obviously Fantrax had just started their, their content. So it's like kind of like, Hey, write up whatever you want. There wasn't like a lot of like, you know, organization as there is nowadays in a lot of these sites. But yeah, so I kind of went that way and loved it and never looked back. Yeah. Well, you, you certainly found your niche. I mean, you are one of the go-to people when, when we think of prospects and, and dynasty. Um, just out of curiosity, how do you keep up? Cause this is the thing that kind of like dissuades me from like really getting into dynasty and prospects. It's just overwhelming, I find. Like, there's so many teams, there's so many players. What is your process for keeping up? I, I know you also play like regular fantasy as well. So, like, how do you keep up with all that is going on between the majors and the minor leagues? I'll tell you, Chris, it's, it's definitely tough at times because th- there is so much to, obviously, the minor leagues is so massive, even just compared to the major leagues. But, I think I just love it so much. Like just the, the all round kind of idea of dynasty where it's like, if you're having a bad year, you know, July, you're like, all right, I'm kind of out of it. You know, season might be over and you might, you might kind of not tr- start trying this hard or go over to football, whatever you want to do. And, but with dynasty, like, all right, you got to start thinking towards next year, you know, and all the trades you can make to, you know, strengthen your team, strengthen your prospect core and make us your teams better in, in the, the following season and beyond. So. That's the, the element that I've always loved about it was the fact that like, it's kind of the closest thing to being like a real life GM as you can get because you got all the prospects and it's like a year round thing. Like, you know, I, I've had my, my home, uh, keeper, uh, dynasty league with my buddies since 2000, uh, I think six is when we started. We were back in high school and just like, you know, we'll text each other like on like November, like, Hey, you know, is this person available? Let's, let's make a deal. Let's, let's talk. So, it's it's always fun to have that year round element and kind of get you through, you know, October, November, December until we get back into redraft draft season, so to speak, and kind of fills that void. So yeah, that's that's what I love about it. Eric, um, Chris's favorite team, the Yankees, made some moves this week and and got some notice for that. Jason Dominguez getting promoted to AAA, Pereira and Peraza to the majors. Can you give us your thoughts on those two call-ups and the impact that they might have on the roster the rest of the season? Yeah, and it sounds like both of those guys are going to play every day, Pereira and Peraza. From, um, you know, I saw a couple of tweets that they're going to play pretty regularly down the stretch, and why not, right? You know, obviously, the Yankee season isn't quite going according to plan, so might as well see what you have with uh, you know Pereira getting his first call-up, and obviously Peraza's been up, I think, two different times before last year and then earlier this year, obviously, so... I, I have definitely some intrigue in both of these guys. Like I had Pereira as like a top 30 to 40 prospect or so. Good, good power in the profile. You know, he's always made good quality of contact. 
runs a little bit too. Maybe guy gives you like 10, 12 steals annually over a full season. Contact rates are a little bit lower. So kind of like where does the average settle into? I think that's the, the real big question with him. But even if he can be like a 250-ish type of guy, you know, it could be 25 home runs, 10 steals. Like that's the, the upside we're talking about here. So I, I like Pereira a lot. Uh, Peraza too. Like Peraza, plenty of speed. We know that. You know, this is a guy that had, you know, I think he's like 35 steals this year or last year. He was being the minor leagues this year and another good power speed pace. Uh, does not quite have the power as Herrera. So he won't be, you know, a 20 plus home run guy. He's probably more like a 15 home run guy, but you know, a 15, 20 type. And yeah, definitely is in play here. So. I think there's definitely, you know, solid. You know, I'm not going to like go run out and drop. You no, know, most of us don't have a lot of fab left anyway, but uh, <laughs> not, not like I'm not going to go drop like a massive amount if I had money left on, on Everson Pereira. But I think both guys that could make a, a decent little impact down the stretch, assuming they, they do play regularly as the Yankees kind of said they would. And, and then real quick on, on Dominguez here, he's a guy I've seen a lot between double A and out in the Arizona Fall League. You know, this is a guy that. Very interesting. He's always been a hard one to rank. It's like every time I go to like every month, it's like he's his, the profile seems to be a little different than it was the previous month. Like early in the season, he'll like hit for more power, then he's running more, then the average drops, the average comes back up. So talent's there. Like he's shown it in glimpses, you know, power here, speed there. It's never kind of like all at the same time. And obviously, he had those ridiculous comps put on him as a 16 year old when he signed. It's like, Oh, Mike Trout and Mickey Mantle and Bo Jackson. I'm like, that's just, that's why I don't do comps anymore. Cause it's just, it's silly. It's, un, it's unfair most of the time. It's just ridiculous for the most part, but th- there's still a lot of talent there. So I don't think we see him this year. I mean, that would be very surprising if they brought him up, but I think next year, you know, maybe May, June, something like that. I think you can see Dominguez. And I think there's a, a pretty good all around player here. Maybe not a stud, but potential for just a nice, you know, well rounded offensive player. Torres is really just looking for one of these guys to be the next Brett Gardner. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's you know, and a, we joke about Brett Gardner, but the Yankees miss him. You know, he, he, was, he was solid. You know, he, he was know. a solid player. Just give you a little bit of everything across the board. Never hurt you in any one area. One like one of those sneaky kind of like boring guys that you have to have in fantasy. He'd be mm-hmm. the White Sox starting right fielder right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, on Dominguez, you know, I went and saw him. He played at our our local uh, minor league affiliate here in um in Hudson Valley. He's a lot smaller than I thought he. Like I remember, yeah. like when he first signed with the Yankees, I'm like, yo, this dude. They call him the Martian. Like I thought he was gonna be like some like football looking, you know, like player looking <laughs> dude. And he's kind of tiny. I was kind of shocked at that. Yeah, he, he is on the smaller side, and you know, very well built, very sturdy. Right, very, right, but like height wise. Yeah, kind of reminds me of like a Willie Calhoun frame. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. He he runs a lot better than Calhoun is <laughs> did. That's for sure. But yeah, he is a little bit. I think he's also. I think he's like five, five ten, five nine actually. Which yeah, I don't know nine. why I'm talking. I'm five seven, so I'm I'm talking here like you know, like I'm some tall dude. Um, but yeah, just it, based on the uh, what I had heard about him, I was just I I didn't expect him. I expected him to be bigger, but let's hope that he at least fulfills some of that potential. Um, but I want to ask you about another recent call up, Eric. Uh, Nolan Shenwell of the Angels just got called up. And this is someone who, I don't know, had a month of minor league experience, was <laughs> drafted this year by the Angels and in there calling him up. Um, so I know it's hard to project what he's going to do because we really just don't have much of a track record here. But 
my question to you is, is more broader, um, more broad. Uh, do the angels have like a well-reasoned plan with what they're doing and calling all of these prospects up early? Or are they just doing stupid shit? Like, I, I'm really like, what, what is the philosophy here? Why call up these guys at such a, an early stage of their career? You know, that is a phenomenal question. I'm getting more towards the, the latter than the former with this one. The angels often kind of, let's just say they don't get praised for their player development very often. So, you know, maybe it's like, oh, hey, we, we can't mess them up if we don't have them go through the minors that, you know, that long. So they did with, you know, Zach Nato came up super quick. Uh, and now uh, same thing with, with Nolan Shanwell. I, I don't understand why. I mean, they, they're already falling out of contention, uh, this, this year. And it kind of had that little skid following the all-star break. So maybe they're getting desperate. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I really, it was, I knew Shanwell, I knew he'd be up soon. Like, I don't think it'd be this year. I didn't think it'd be, you know, mid August, but I knew, I knew he'd be one of the, like the, one of the first guys from this draft class to make it. But mm-hmm. man, it, it's, it's really puzzling the angels. I, I just don't understand what they do really. They, they're one of the more puzzling teams to me. Like they have all this talent, you know, obviously they have two of the, maybe, maybe the number one and number two player I've ever seen lot, you know, in my lifetime, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Or at least, you know, two of the top four or something like that. And they just can't seem to do anything ever. And they, they can't build around it. Obviously baseball, you need a full team and it's not like basketball where, you know, two guys can carry you to a title. But yeah, the Angels, if I was an Angels fan, I would be insanely frustrated. Like, I, like what's worse? Like always like having a bad team, like I don't know, like the Royals and just, and just knowing that as a fan or having being a fan of a team like the Angels where. You have Trout, you have Otani, you have high expectations. Just every year falling short, just because of just poor management. I, I don't know what would be more frustrating as a fan, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Some of these organizations, I mean, it, you just scratch your head. Um, yeah. The decision making process is is really off for a lot of them. Uh, Mike, did you happen to see the tweet that I put out a week ago about how I thought that like the best fantasy players? Um, I forget exactly how I worded it, but basically that I saw this one, yeah. You saw it, um, did, yeah. yeah. How the best fantasy players would be more effective uh, than seventy five percent of the GMs out there. Yes, uh, and I got some pushback on it, but I also got a lot of uh, engagement, like positive engagement. Um, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Because me personally, I'm like, I look at these decisions, and you know, it's not even about like analytics or anything like that like i think a lot of teams are behind in that area but it's just about making like positive ev decisions and you know i think the best fantasy players are really good at that you know they understand how to play the game and 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 make like really well-reasoned thought-out decisions whereas a lot of these organizations and i include the angels in that just seem like they're just flying by the seat of their pants and there's no process right they're just like Making decision, ah, you know, this seems like a good idea. Let's do it. You know. Mm-hmm. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree, or do you think I'm being a little little harsh? I agree to an extent. I think what happens though with a lot of these GMs is that they try to catch lightning in a bottle and hope that they run across something that's phenomenal. And even if it's uh, by accident, I mean, the Angels don't seem to be a very well run organization, in my opinion. There's certainly some things that I would have done differently there. If I was a general manager and I had the resources that they have, um, 
they did make some shrewd moves, I thought, in getting some veteran guys in the middle of the season there, but it hasn't really panned out. They they didn't really play well after they made uh, some of those key moves. I, I do think that there are some really good fantasy players that would be really good real-life general managers that would be able to pull the strings and do that. It's a little bit different skill set, I think, though, in a way, though, too, you know, like there's a there's a, a people process that's part of that as well. There's a, a conversational piece that has to happen and a dialogue that has to happen. And in my opinion of and I could be dead wrong on this and I'll probably get pushback on it. But in my experience, the best fantasy players are I don't want to say loners because that makes it sound like <laughs> they're like sitting, in, you know, in their mom's basement, like deciding who they're going to put on the roster. But they really are very confident in their own decision making ability. And I don't know that they would always be super willing to be involved in that level of conversation that, say, someone like you would be because your skill set is a conversational skill set. You could talk to anyone about anything. You could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves at her wedding day, right? I mean, like, you've got a, you've got a skill set. And there are some people that have that, and there's a lot of people that don't. So it, it would, I think it would be, would be more person dependent than it would be necessarily like situation dependent in my mind. No, I hear you. Um, and, and someone actually made a similar point in response to that tweet. And that's fair. Um, I think that the, the people part of it and leadership and management, like that's, that is very different. Um, so yeah, I can't speak to like how some of the really good fantasy players would do in, in that area. But I think in just in terms of like managing or, or putting together a roster that could win. Um, I, I think they could do, most of them could do just as good as some of these GMs out there. Um, you know, Kyle Body, and just the last thing on this, he put out a tweet, uh, a few days after mine saying that if, if someone had, uh, fan graphs, uh, baseball America rankings and like stuff plus, like they would probably be more advanced in their evaluation than some MLB teams. I think the way he put it was, you wouldn't be the the most behind out of the MLB team. So that's telling you something. Like, he's worked with organizations that he's seen, and I assume the Rockies are one of them, right? Because <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Um, but it, it's just interesting how some of these teams are... Uh, obviously, you see the haves and the have-nots, right? You see the Dodgers, the Rays, the Astros, and then you've got these bottom feeders that they're just they're just so far behind, and I don't know how or when they catch up. But anyway, that's an aside. I want to get into uh, a different segment that we're going to do for this episode, Eric, uh, called 54321. So we're going to go through each of these. Uh, I'm going to give you five questions. And the first one here is uh, give me five prospects who you think will be promoted before the end of the season. Yeah, so now it, it's a really fun time of year because that there's the 45 day threshold is passed where, you know, as long as prospects that are called up now don't go over the 130 at bat or 50 innings pitch threshold, you know, they're still rookie eligible next year. So, and obviously teams can reap the benefits of that. So we're at the point now where I think we're going to start seeing a lot more prospects as the call up here the next few days, next week or two. I think the, there's a definite, definite cluster of like the, Five guys I'm really excited for. Uh, Michael Bush was actually one of them. He got the call today. Thank, thankfully, oh my word. Uh, I've been clamoring for Bush to get recalled forever. Took a JD Martinez IL stint for it to happen, but um, it's actually funny not to get off topic real quick. But uh, Michael Bush had uh, 1,500 and something uh, plate appearances between Double A AA and Triple A, and then like Nolan Shanwell goes up to the major leagues after 97 plate appearances total. 
in the minor leagues. It's just ridiculous how the different paths for some of these prospects. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the five that I'm really looking at right now, uh, actually two Cubs. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong is like my number one guy right now. A great power speed blend up triple A. I don't know, about three, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. He's actually on a 14 game hitting streak, hitting streak right now. A uh, nice power speed blend, solid field of hits. Now this guy could be a nice, you know, five category fantasy contributor. And I think Matt Mervis, you know, he's another one. I think there's a bit of prospect fatigue set it on him. People obviously weren't uh, overly impressed with his, you know, performance earlier in, in the year. But I think there's still a 30 home run power bat here. I saw Mervis live last year at the AFL. The power is absolutely legit. Hopefully he can hit at least 250 or so. Uh, I think he'll have a decent OBP, maybe a little more value in that format. But I think he he gets recalled here at some point. So those two from the Cubs. Uh, Sedan Rafaela, I think from my Red Sox, is going to be up at some point this year. He's been absolutely terrorizing AAA pitching uh, since he got the call a couple of months back. Hitting for a lot more power, and obviously his you know elite defense in center field uh, obviously brings you know that real life value to the Red Sox that, that every team obviously loves. And I've seen him; he was in Double A for a good bit uh, last year, and then earlier this year. And seeing him play center field was an absolute jo- you know joy to watch. I always appreciate a good defensive center fielder, so I think he's up. Uh, I think Jordan Lawler gets the call too. I kind of didn't think he was going to. Uh, about a month or two ago, but then he got bumped the AAA a couple weeks ago, and it kind of feels like the same path as Corbin Carroll, you know, last year. And obviously, Lawler is one of the higher upside prospects in all of baseball. A guy that can go out and be like a twenty home run, twenty five steal player, you know, with a good OBP and a solid average as well. And so I think he gets the call out there in Arizona, and you know, kind of one more, probably I think Colt Keith. In the, in Detroit gets the call as well. He's, he's been a little, not, he's been, he's cooled off a bit. He was really hot in like July, kind of cooled off here in, in August, but one of the better pure hitters in the minor leagues. I can hit for average, hit for power, run a little bit, played second base and third base. So I think uh, Detroit gives him at least a, at least a cup of coffee down the stretch just to give him, you know, get, get his feet wet and then probably have him on the opening of the roster next year. Excellent. That makes sense. A lot of talk here in Chicago about PCA, as they're calling them already. Yep. Um, Eric, a question that I have for you. It, can you tell us about four prospects, keeping in the 5-4-3-2-1 um, track here, four prospects whose value has changed the most, in your opinion, this season? Yeah, I'll start with, I'll start with two, not to make this a Cubs kind of theme, but I'll start with, with two Cubs here, one hitter, one pitcher. Uh, Owen Casey is one, and I'm actually writing an article about right now for FTN that you know, he was one. Of, he was always like a high upside guy when he was drafted back in 2020. But the, you know there was too much swing and miss in in the profile. So before the year, he was a guy that I think many people, including myself, you know, that do prospect rankings, had probably ranked around like 150 or so. And, and even kind of in April and May, he was still kind of in that 100 to 125 range for me, even though he's hitting home runs, but. The K rate was just so high. I think it was like 43% in April, 37-ish percent in May. But that just keeps coming down every month. And you know, it's still like 27, 28%. So it's not great, but I, I think that's livable, you know, much better than 37, 38%. So a uh, lot of power there. I think he's going to be a good, like a, your kind of typical corner outfielder type of guy, getting maybe hit 30 home runs over the course of a full season. So the seeing that K rate come down. Uh, while still having a, a pretty high walk rate, I think that's really kind of had him 
his value shoot way up. And then on the pitching side, Kate Horton, who was, you know, top 10 pick in last year's draft, but was a guy that just didn't have a lot of track record, didn't pitch a lot at Oklahoma, but you know, had that great run in the College World Series that really bolted him to being a top 10 pick. So it was kind of one of those like, all right, the upside's there, but the track record isn't, was a very hard player to value. I valued him way lower than I should. And now he's my number three pitching prospect in all of baseball. Uh, oh, wow. and I, yeah. And I think, I think he's probably a pretty consensus. I say consensus top 10 and I think top five for a good amount of people at this point. So guy that probably comes up early part of next year too. So I, I think just, just seeing, seeing him like a longer track record, like, all right, this guy's legit. Like this wasn't just like a, you know, fluky run in the College World Series uh, last year. So uh, those two for sure. Yeah, Ethan Salas obviously has been, you know, the talk of the minor leagues as a 17-year-old now in double A, which is just absolutely bonkers. And like a young 17, he turned 17 on June 1st. So he's a young 17, wouldn't even be 18 till midpoint of next year. And to already be up there, and like, yeah, the stats don't jump off the page at you, but he's held his own. And obviously San Diego has a history of, aggressively promoting their top guys and you know they think he's you know, gonna be a guy that can help them sooner rather than later which is which is high praise so like, he went from being like an, just an intriguing guy to like mlb pipeline baseball america like, all these you know all the big sites have him as a top 10 prospect right now and obviously those are real life rankings but yeah his value just anywhere fantasy non-fantasy has a skyrocketed yeah and then the last one going the opposite way uh, Jack Leiter obviously was, you know, came to prominence with, with Kumar Rocker uh, at Vanderbilt and went super high in the number two overall in the draft of Texas. Great stuff, but something that can't be stated enough is you got to have the command and control. Like I've seen so many talented arms just not make it or move to the bullpen, just not be as impactful as they could have been or as we thought they could be just because they can't locate, they can't. To limit the walks. They can't command their pitches and put them where they want to. And that's the issue with lighter. And that was an issue even at Vanderbilt that we kind of overlooked because, oh, the numbers are great. And, you know, look, he's, he's flashy. It's, it's awesome. But like, he's a guy that's just plummeted down my rankings. And, you know, I think I'm a little bit lower than most, but I think in the general sense, he's dropped down a lot of people's rankings this year to the point where, you know, he, he was probably a top 10 pitching prospect for, for many people. Now he's probably not even a top 50 pitching prospect for me anymore. His values dropped, dropped that much. So. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah. Owen Casey, Kate Horton, Ethan Salas, Jack Leiter. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, I want you to take a stand here, and I want you to, to upset some people. I want you to give me three prospects you're lower on than the rest of the industry and tell us why. I mean, Ethan Salas was almost one of them, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll save him for another another day. But Kyle Harrison, I'll, I'll start with him. He's made his debut tonight and, you know, pitched pretty well. Uh, I think it was a solid debut overall. But I get kind of goes back to what I was just saying about Jack Leiter. You know, Kyle Harrison, the stuff is good. Like he kind of, again, I don't do comps, but he gives me like a Robbie Ray kind of feel like one of those guys that's going to have a lot of strikeouts, but the whips probably gonna be a, a bit higher than, than you'd want. And he's kind of de- you know, developed into like a two pitch guy. Uh, really a four-seam slurve at this point. He used to have a more of a sweeper. Kind of the characteristics of it this year have changed. It's more of a slurve right now. That's even what Savant classified it as in, in this outing tonight. But he just doesn't throw strikes. Like the walk rate was, I think, around 17% this year. That's just not going to get it done like at all. And 
I, I think there's a, still a chance he's a solid pitcher. I mean, obviously the upside's there, so I'm not like completely out on him. But this is just not a profile that I invest in typically, and I still see him ranked super high. I'm a lot of the other people, both industry fantasy guys, and then you know the pipelines, the, be- the baseball Americas, etc. Some have him even as the number one left-handed pitching prospect in all of baseball. I just I can't get behind that. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely definitely lower uh, on Kyle Harrison than most. Um, I guess not not to hate on the uh, Giants, but Marco Luciano uh, is another one. Like with him, the power is there. Like I've seen him take batting practice. The power, easy easy power, but he has struggled to really hit for a high average. Doesn't have like terrible contact rates or like a terrible K rate. K rate's actually pretty solid, but just make you know putting the ball in play and getting on base has been an issue for him. And so I don't know, he's more than like a 250, 25 homer type, which is still solid. It's like a kind of, I think like Ryan McMahon kind of type of player, but for what he's being the, the perceived value on him, which I think is everything in Dynasty, like what these players' perceived value is by other people is still like way too high. He doesn't really run at all either. Like he used to, he hasn't really run that much the last couple of years. So I think he's just being, again, so, still could be a solid player, but I think the value on him is, is way too high. And then the third one, I, I wrote down four names. And I couldn't pick between these last two, but I think, I think I'll lean more towards Aurelvis Martinez here. I got that I've seen a lot live because he he was in Double A New Hampshire, which is about a two hour drive for me. So I saw him, I'd say probably in the vicinity of a, a dozen times uh, during his tenure at the level. It's in Triple A now, but and he's starting to come on. He he has made some improvements, and I and I bumped him back up a little bit accordingly. But he's yet to show for like a, a prolonged stretch that he can hit for both average and power at the same time. Like the average is coming up, then he. Like, you know, the power went down earlier in the year. He was hitting for hitting a ton of home runs, but he was hitting like 210. So, you know, I think people are still pretty high on him. And I did, I need to see him do both of those things for more than like a week at the same time, which he, he really hasn't done yet. So uh, I think those, uh, those are the three that I kind of look to when, when I say this question were Kyle Harrison, Marco Luciano and Aurelvis Martinez. Eric, when I first started playing, Dynasty League, you were an incredible help to me in motivating me to get started doing it. I had never done it before, and I'm in the midst of uh, a, I guess the kind way to put it is a rebuild <laughs> as I'm kind of going through it. But you've really helped me target a lot of guys that I've been able to get in the league that I'm playing. In your opinion, what are two mistakes that Dynasty players make when it comes to evaluating prospects? Yeah, so th- this one, the f- the first one, it's just getting too wrapped up in the, the razzle dazzle, so to speak. Like these guys that the really buzzy guys, whether it's a guy that has great stuff, like was it Kyle Harrison? Uh, great stuff, but doesn't have the command or like on the hitting, hitting side, a guy that all oh, the power speed is there. This guy could go 25, 25, but you know, the swing and miss is too prevalent. The contact skills are not there. So it's really getting too wrapped up in, in the, the buzzy guys and. Now, that causes you to overlook, you know, the, you know, quote unquote, boring guys or the safer guys that, you know, we know, you know, as, you know playing fantasy that we need these guys, whether it's redraft or dynasty, you need, yeah, it's, it's nice to have like the big upside guys to, to kind of build your team around, obviously, but you need to have those guys that are just going to provide solid production for you. It might not be sexy to draft them at all or, or roster them in dynasty, but these are the guys that help you win. So 
uh, kind of that's the first one, kind of going for the buzzy and forgetting about the you know the not buzzies, so to speak. And the other one is you know, learning when to kind of let go. I think people get attached to prospect. Maybe you drafted them, you know, when he first you know came into the league as in, in your FYPD, and you know maybe there was some upside there. You're like, all right, this is my guy. I'm hitching my wagon to this guy, and then maybe the production's not there, and they kind of start falling down rankings. But you're, you hold on to them just because uh, I drafted him. I want to try to see this through, and then you kind of hold on too long, and then maybe miss the opportunity to drop that player for another player that's kind of trending, you know, upward. So uh, that, that's one that I've even been guilty of myself many, many times. I fully admit that. Uh, something I've worked on over the years. I think I've gotten better about it uh, over the last handful of years, but. This is learning when to let go and when to move on to the next option. I think it's something that I think uh, I still see some dynasty players uh, make that mistake too. Makes sense. Um, Eric, last question of this segment. One big lesson that you have learned as just in general as a fantasy player this season? Yeah, it's not to get too cute with Fab early on. I think, and I'm not saying go out and blow all your fab in the first third of the season but i really didn't go hard enough with fab when i probably should have and getting some guys that i probably needed to have to kind of help correct a you know whether it be a categorical or positional need that i had on on my team whether and this is both redraft and dynasty this happened to me on on both teams where i probably should have tried to you know gone a little bit harder maybe bump those bids up a little bit so I was kind of more, you know, thinking, all right, I, I got to make sure I sp- spread this out over the whole season. But in reality, we probably spend what on average, I'd say, two thirds of our fab in the first third to you know forty percent of the season, something like that. So I was trying to get too cute and save fab for later on. But then if you do that and you fall too far back, it's, it becomes really hard to make up that ground. Obviously, as you get into like July, August, especially so. Yeah, that, that's one that, that bit me in a couple leagues this year, both redraft and dynasty, and something I'm going to look to kind of work on next year for sure. Well, you should reach out to Mike because Mike is probably the best uh, fab uh, player that I know. So, oh, no, I was going to say, if, if that's true, then I'm the only fab player that you know because. Uh, <laughs> That just about everyone and and in their family and everybody that's related to them is better at Fab than I am. Although I will say probably that I have been better this year based on some tips that I've gotten. And I'm competitive. Am I going to win? No. Competitive? Better? Yes. Satisfied? No. Content? Okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. Man, Fab is such a beast, man. It it, it really yep. does. Like it's just so much trial and error. Um, and it, it's like, a, uh, it's a different game, right? To learn how to play that effectively. So, uh, you know, I'm in my, my third year of that. And I still like, I feel like every week there's still mistakes being made. Like it, it's just such a, uh, a, a tough thing to navigate, but, um, yeah, I absolutely hear you on that. So thank you for that. I just got to point out, Eric, like you are just dropping knowledge, man. Like, I don't know. First of all, like all these players and like how you just retain all of this information and just spit it out like you do. I, I find it amazing. So, uh, yeah, just totally so impressed by just all of the, the knowledge that you're giving us here. But, uh, I put out on Twitter earlier that, uh, you were going to be on. So I got some, um, listener questions. Uh, so not surprised that 
people wanted uh, your opinion on these things here. So the first one I have is actually in regards to somebody that you just talked about, Kyle Harrison. Uh, and this is from, uh, I just had it up and now I don't have it. Uh, Relievers Reliever, who is a listener of the show and a friend of the show. And he had asked if he is going to be um, more of a traditional starter or kind of like a long man, what you see the Giants doing with some of these pitchers right now. Uh, and, and I think they did tonight. They used them for like three innings. Do you think, Eric, that that was more of like a um, trying to preserve him uh, given you know his age? Or do you think this is the long-term plan for him? I think it's at least the short-term plan for the rest of the season. Like you mentioned, he, he's still young. He's 21 years old. Uh, so I, obviously they, they don't want to overdo it here in, in his first taste of Major League Baseball. So I think you're going to see a lot of these like, kind of three, four inning starts for uh, at least at least for this season. Then maybe they st- stretch him out in spring training next year and, and see how that goes. Long-term, I think obviously they're going to give him every chance to be a starter. There definitely is some bullpen risk, though. I mean, it's kind of hard to say there isn't, just given the the command and control issues he's had and the fact that he's kind of morphed into more of a two-pitch guy now. But I, I think that's not even in the discussion for at least another couple of years. Obviously, when you have a talent like this and a guy that's been considered one of the best pitching prospects in baseball for the last couple of years now, they're going to give him every chance to step into that rotation and, and kind of be the guy, kind of work through the kinks with, with the command and control. So I think there definitely is that risk that he turns into that type of guy. But I don't think that's really going to factor in for at least a couple of years. Gotcha. All right. Next question is from at Triple Play Fantasy. So this is uh, Eric Mendelson. He wants to know who is the most valuable starting pitcher in Dynasty right now. I mean, if you'd asked me this like a month ago, I think it's definitely a discussion. I think it's between Strider and McClanahan, but obviously, unfortunately, McClanahan is going to be out until 2025. I think you gotta go Strider at this point. You know, all the other arms I have up in that top part of, of the rankings for pitchers. You know, Garrett Cole is up there, but you know, he's 32, 33. Uh, so obviously he's, he's kind of getting up there in age. And then there's other guys that haven't really proven to be on that level. Like Zach Gallon, great. He's like my SP five or six. Now uh, the, uh, Yuri Perez, I think is going to be a guy that challenges, uh, Strider here, maybe even next year. I, I already have him up in that top five, six range. Uh, the Yuri Perez, we, we've seen Yuri Perez. Like the guy is absolutely filthy. Still only, he's still twenty. If, he, if he's not twenty, he's just turned twenty-one. But uh, still very young as well. Uh, so I think he's a big guy that may, could maybe threaten Strider here uh, as soon as next year. But right now, you give it to Strider. I know there's some people on on Twitter that are like, "Oh, his ERA is jumped up to like three eight or whatever it was." Don't but, listen to them. Don't yeah, listen I mean, to people. He's the best. He's he's oh, the SP one. He is. Like, like, I, I want to ask those people. All right, you know, let's just roll with it. If you don't think it's Strider, then who do you think it is? Maybe they say Garrett Cole. Like, all right, Garrett Cole's 33. I mean, how much longer is he going to be an, an elite guy? Or if it's Zach Gallon, like, all right, he's been pretty good, but not as good as Strider. And he's older than Strider. So I'm like, I just want to see what those people are saying. All right, who is it? If it's not Strider, then who is it? You know, maybe the ERA has got up a little bit, but all the ERA indicators are, you know, down in like the upper twos or low threes. He'll be fine. Like, this guy is the elite, elite strikeout arm in baseball. So, yeah, yeah, he's number one for me. Well, none of those guys have Jack Carter's Vulcan changeup. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, uh, he throws a Vulcan? He's trying. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Dude, listen, if Strider, had the cha- if the Strider had the Vulcan changeup, you know, maybe he, he could be the consensus SP. <laughs> right, and right. He should 
point that out to him. I, I what I I did a little bit of pitching when I was going up through you know little league and up up into high school. Uh, to change up, I I I, I threw a decent curveball, but I never got a great feel for a change. I tried different ones. I even tried the uh, one that actually did the best for me was the James Shields change up, which wasn't really a, a typical change up. He kind of it was more like an open palm change up, but he'd throw it and kind of release open the palm. It kind of made a little bit of drag on it. That actually did the best for me, but I could never get a change up. I wanted one so bad. I love change ups. You know, growing up as a Red Sox fan, Pedro Martinez a change up might be my favorite single pitch in the history of baseball. I yeah, could watch him throw that change up over and over and over again. And I did growing up as a Red Sox fan when, during his peak. So I tried so hard to get that Pedro circle change down. Just couldn't do it. I, I'd always spike it into the ground because, you know, all the drag, obviously. But, yeah, yeah. good luck to Jack. I hope he can learn that Vulcan change up. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got a little bite to it already. So we were practicing. Nice. We he threw a bullpen yesterday with his, with the guy who's pitching coaching him, and I was like, kind of nasty. I had a hard time catching it. So, But I'm also <laughs> I'm also 50 years old, so that's probably not super helpful either. <laughs> so, so, Eric, you were a pitcher uh, when, when you played. Bit, yeah. Yeah. What was your ballpark ERA? Oh, gee, not not good. I, I I didn't say I was a good pitcher. No. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was primarily a corner. I played some first and third. That was my primary uh, positions there. First base only because I was the only kid that had a first baseman's mitt. My dad, when I was thirteen, bought me a first baseman's glove, or maybe I was like eleven or twelve, uh, somewhere in that range. But he bought me a first baseman's mitt. I think on accident. And my coach was like, "Hey, you got the mitt. Once you go over there." So I played a little bit there, a little bit a third, pitched a little bit, but I think I, I had decent velo, but uh, kind of like Kyle Harrison, my command and control wasn't the greatest. Let's just say that. Gotcha. Okay. All right, Mike. They put your so you're a, a little league coach. Um, I got put in left field a lot. What do you think that means? <laughs> well, I think what it means is that people <laughs> felt that you were a reliable fielder. Uh, on, on fly balls and things of that nature, but they nope. didn't trust you, uh, as a, as a person in the infield, um, being able to pay attention or maybe make those hard throws and field the tough grounders. Um, and maybe you were very fast. Maybe you had a great speed and they wanted to utilize that Torres speed <laughs> in the outfield to chase down long fly balls. Am I right? Ah, oh, you're full of shit. I suck. <laughs> That's where they put the shitty, like, the kids who can't play, right? Like, you're not going to play the infield. All right, just put them out of left field. So, yeah, my baseball career, you know, I wanted to be the next Derek Jeter, right? And uh, that dream lasted about a day. And uh, well, here I am. But at least I get to talk about it. So it's all right, good. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. But uh, our our last question, actually, second to last question here is from another friend of the show, Dave Funnel. Uh, Eric, give us some post-hype prospects you're either excited about or haven't given up on yet. Uh, I think Mike, when I alluded to a little, a little while ago, Michael Bush, I, I think he's a perfect post-hype guy because he's been a prospect for what feels like a 12 years at this point. He was, he was drafted back in 2019 and was in the upper minor leagues for three years or at least two and a half years. But he's the bat is still there. I I don't know why the... You know, Dodgers have just refused to play him up, up, up until now. And hopefully this is the start of him playing regularly moving forward. But uh, he's still, he's hitting for good average. The contact skills have even improved over the last year or two. You know, walk rate is pretty solid as well. 25 homer pop in that bat. Uh, maybe even more, maybe a 30 home run guy. We'll see. I think that's within their own possibilities. So 
Uh, I think Michael Bush, I, I've been trying to get him everywhere I could in, in Dynasty Leagues. I think there's still a really good bat there. And then I, I haven't given up on a, a guy like Jonathan Aranda from, from Tampa Bay either, who's kind of like the American League Michael Bush, a guy that's been kind of blocked by everyone and anybody there in Tampa Bay. You know, but now Kyle Manzardo's out of the picture. Obviously, there's you know other issues going on in that infield that we all know about. Don't need to get into that. But not that he's not short stuff. But I think there's a little bit you know less of a log jam now in Tampa Bay than there was say three months ago. So I uh, obviously he's gotten a call here recently, and we'll see how see how he fits into the picture there. But yeah, Jonathan Aranda definitely is another one that um, I'm still still thinking there's gonna be a solid bat there for sure. Mike, do you know what the fun song is? The F-U-N song? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No? Did you happen to see? So one of, uh, so David Mendelson, who, <laughs> by the way, congratulations, David. Yes, congrats. Uh, had a daughter, so very excited for him. Um, but, uh, he responded, uh, to my tweet and asked that Eric sing the fun song. And he had a, a gif of SpongeBob SquarePants. So I have no idea. I, I'm not. I never watched SpongeBob, so I don't know. But uh, Eric, can you sing the fun song for us? Uh, I know most of it. So it's F is for friends that do stuff together. U is for you and me. N is for anywhere and anytime at all down here in the deep blue sea. So very nice. For anybody that doesn't know, Mendy and I, uh, we respond to each other with SpongeBob gifts or or SpongeBob memes. Like that's our thing. Uh, and like I, I responded to when he on Facebook when he um I forget if it was actually him or his wife his wife tagged him but when they posted that their daughter was born and I kind of replied back with a congratulations but it was SpongeBob doing it so it's like a long running joke between me and Mendy over the last you know several years getting to know each other so uh, when I when I saw him uh, comment with that I just had I had to, I had a good little chuckle it's I love <laughs> I, I love Mendy and then our little SpongeBob kind of connection has been a, a fun one. Well, that's for sure. Mendy is awesome and, and super happy for him, uh, being a new, a new dad here. And that's, uh, segue into our next segment. We're going to move away from baseball here. And, uh, you know, we usually do, um, what's called our, our mental health minute where we talk about, uh, overall wellness. Uh, but I noticed in your Twitter profile, first thing you have, uh, before everything else is that you're a father. Um, and I thought we'd switch things up a little bit today and, uh, we'll do our, uh, it doesn't sound as nice, but our parenting minute. <laughs> so, uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what is one strategy, uh, or just something that you're doing as a parent that you feel has been serving you well recently? Nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm, ki- <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, before I comment on that, one thing I'd like to say about Eric is that, um, you know, I've, I've known Eric for a couple of years now and he brought me on at Fantrax, uh, when I was kind of, uh, floating around, not knowing exactly what the future was going to hold for me. And, um, he, he really gave me a chance to work there with him and Doug Anderson. And it's been a really great fit for me. So I, I wanted to say thanks for that, Eric. But the other thing that I want to point out about Eric too is that uh, Eric is a devoted father. If you follow him on Twitter, if you're his friend on Facebook, his timeline is all about his kids. This is a guy that every week uh, is doing things with his kids, movie nights, um, bowling, going to ball games, like just doing all kinds of great stuff with his kids. And I think that that is just so crucial. He clearly spends time with his kids and is active. And that kind of keys into what I wanted to bring up. And 
and both of my kids now somehow, some way are teenagers and I've not managed to hurt or kill them or maim them in any way that I can really tell with the naked eye. But the one thing that I, two things that I do on a daily basis that seem really simple that I think are really powerful. Number one is always make time to check in with your kids on a daily basis, no matter how old they are, no matter how little they are. How was school? What did you, something that cool that you learned about today? Did you see so-and-so? Whatever. I want to know. I want to know what they're involved in. I want to know what their schedules are. I keep those things by my desk at, at work so that I know what classes they're in and whatnot. I want to be actively involved in that and know what's going on. And and so that's one part of it. But the other part of it is something that I'm really a stickler for. And I, this makes me sound like an old fuddy-duddy, which I guess I am. We have dinner together every night. Mandatory. And and there are nights where if Ellie's working or whatever, the four of us might not. She got a job working at the library, you know. So we might not all be together, but I, I would say probably six nights out of seven, we have that half hour time together to just chill. And you know, Katie and I might have a beer. We might be joking around about what's going on during the course of the day, but like really checking in with the kids. And like in today's day and age, guys and girls out there, um, you know, I work in mental health. So does Torres. Um, you can never be. 100% certain what's going on behind those eyes and what's going on in that heart unless you ask and you got to talk about it. Um, and there's going to be some tough shit you're going to have to talk about. Those things come out. It's happened with my both of my kids. I'd be a liar if I told you that it was all rainbows and butterflies and white picket fences over here because it's not. But the lines of communication are open. And what I always want my kids to say and what I want them to think, I say to them every week, which is I don't ever want them to be in a position where they say, I can't let my dad find out about this. I want them to be in a position where they say, I've got to tell my dad about this. And I think that's a really subtle thing that a lot of people miss out on. Just communicate clearly, be open. And, you know, for the love of God, guys, a lot of guys will say, don't want to say those three little words. Say I love you to your kids every day, every night, before they go to school, before they go to bed. Just do it. And and that's really all I wanted to say about that. I'll I'll, I'll stop talking now. <laughs> All right, good stuff, Mike. Thanks so much, uh, Eric. What about you? What's one strategy that you've been using that you've uh, found to be really helpful? Yeah, first off, I just want to say I 110 percent agree with everything Mike just said. Yeah, you know, I say I love you to my kids as much as possible. Something to the point where I'm like my daughter who's 11 now. She's like, "All right, Dad, I get it." Like, <laughs> so I 100 percent agree with that um, for sure. And everything else, Mike, kind of have dinner with the kids. Like, kind of Mike, kind of, kind of let me into one of my my things here, though. Is now, I try to have, you know, sometimes it gets hard. I get it, but having one-on-one time with your kids, I think, I think is crucial. And I, I, obviously time as a, as a whole family, obviously is also uh, crucial. And we do a lot of that as well. But, and it, sometimes you can't do it every day, obviously, because sometimes you get home from, home from work or school and you get homework, and then you get dinner. And then, you then all, all of a sudden it's like bedtime's popping right up. So can't really do it every day, but you know, when you can just have that one-on-one time uh, with, with your kids and, that, I think that really helps the connections uh, grow uh, with, with each of your, you know, all of your children. So I try to do that as much as possible. Obviously, it helps that, you know, my daughter's 11, my son is seven. So let's just say their interests right now aren't really, really uh, matching up right now. So like he, <laughs> he has his stuff, like, like certain movies, like he'll want to see like in theaters that she's like, ah, I don't really want to or vice versa. Um, so like, you know, maybe I'll drop one of them off at grandma's house. Go have you know one on one time with them, or or something even within the house, just like playing playing cards or you know drawing pictures of my son or whatever it is. So try to have that one on one time. And another just like a general over overview thing that I, I 
took me a bit to learn too is just like don't worry about being the perfect parent i think mm-hmm. we're not and, you know mike you, you know we're not perfect you know we're gonna mess up we will we're gonna overreact maybe shout when we shouldn't shout you know make you know the wrong decision but you know, as long as we're you know trying our best to be the best parent that we can be i think people sometimes try, try too hard and and then they get get on themselves like oh, i'm not i'm not doing this right like hey we're all still learning. You know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I've had, I've been a father for 11 years now. I'm still learning and I'm still going to be learning for the rest of their, of their lives. So, um, just don't get too hard on yourself. Just, you know, just try your best, you know, give that time to your kids and you know, everything will work out. Like they love you for the effort. They, they don't care that you're perfect. They really don't. So, you know, that, that's, that's one thing I've had to tell myself. One of the things I share with my staff all the time too is I piggybacking off what you said, Eric, is if you're real with people, you don't always have to be right. I love that. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I, I find that even, so I, I think in those moments when we aren't the perfect parent, um, what I, what I try to do every time is just to be open and vulnerable and say, Hey, daddy wasn't at his best right now, yep. you know, or like, and I think that right there just teaches them so many lessons, right? Um, you know, being accountable and, and just, you know, um, I, I think that like, as long as you mend whatever, like, even if there's a temporary rift between you and your kid, as long as you address it and you mend it, it's okay. Like, that's actually, this is the perfect place to kind of learn how to deal with conflict and how to kind of navigate those interpersonal issues. Right. Yeah. Um, so like you're teaching them. But I think where problems go, you know, start to develop is where you have these rifts that don't get addressed and then they linger and they lead to shame and they lead to all these other things that tend to stay with the kid. So um, I just think that that's so important. Just, uh, you know, I love everything that you said, Eric, but just wanted to expand on that. And uh, you also mentioned, Eric, about like the idea of just really devoting specific time uh, to your kids and, um, I very much related to what you talked about, how like, you know, after it's just the day to day gets so busy, right? I have two kids as well. Um, and you know, it's work, it's making dinner, cleaning up after dinner, keeping the house tidy, doing whatever activities for the kid. You know, there's just so much going on. And, you know, sometimes I realize that there's a lot of time that went by that like we haven't, like we'll eat together, but like, we won't do any activities as a family. So last night, uh, my wife actually initiated it. We have this little bingo game that, uh, uh, it's like the, you know, the show Bluey, uh, but the, the, it's like traditional bingo with, uh, Bluey characters. And, uh, we played a couple rounds of that and we all had a blast. It was, it was great. And I noticed like usually bedtime is torture, right? Like getting them to brush their (laughs) teeth and do everything they need to do. We did that. They were in such a good mood. And it was like everything we asked of them afterwards, was like, okay, okay, no problem, daddy. Like it was like total, it was like the easiest bedtime ever, you know, but it, it just goes to show that like, yeah, sometimes maybe you don't feel like, uh, you know, going, putting in that extra effort and, and spending that time with them. But in the long run, it's actually not only is it good for your kid, but it's making your life easier too, right? Um, because they're going to be in a better mood and, and kids just, there is this thing about like energy too, right? Like 
when you're exuding positive energy, they feel that and then they shine that back at you. And it's just like you can get on a pretty good run, right? Uh, when, when you're in that, you kind of get on a roll there. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was what I was going to talk about was just this idea of, of spending, you know, doing stuff as a family, uh, is just so important. So, but really good stuff there. I'm glad we had this, uh, this conversation. Mike, you wanted to. Chris, does does one thing that you guys do as a family is watch the Yankees lose because they just lost again, nine in a row. Yeah. You know, honestly, so my son. We actually don't even watch that much and, and you know, it's, it's kind of led to me not watching as much this year. Uh, cause my son wants nothing to do with baseball. And, uh, you know, my daughter is like not really into it. So, you know, but it's probably good for everybody, right? That we don't sit there and watch that uh, abomination Absolutely. that we're, we're that could, that'll, right that'll change. He'll get into it when he sees how into it you are. He'll get into it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he will. Right now he just wants to play with cars and trucks and, uh, you know, firefighters and stuff like that. But. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Like my, my daughter, I've daughter's 11, son is seven. My daughter, she's, you know, I'm not like huge into it, but she's into it. Like she, she kind of morphed from, go, you know, going to the games of me and enjoying all the extra stuff that goes on at minor league games, right? All the, the mascots, the, the games between innings and all that to actually, she'd start asking me questions like, Hey, what just happened? Or Hey, why did that player do that? So it was like, I saw like the, the wheels churning. Like she's starting to her to like put, you know, two or two together to like, why certain things are happening on the field so yeah she's still kind of getting into the game my son though he's he'll go to games with me sometimes and every now and then he'll get into it but he hasn't really shown much of an interest yeah he's he's more into trucks and uh he's big into dinosaurs and whatever the random shows he watches now that i don't even know uh, what, what these characters are called anymore um but yeah he's more into like that stuff he's, he's very artsy both my kids are very artsy more the sportsy uh, type of kids, but yeah, it, it was really great to see my daughter start asking those questions. And maybe that comes to my son. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? Um, but yeah, at least one of my kids is starting to ask questions. And that, that's just awesome. Just to share my yeah, passion, awesome. my, my, yeah. pa- my passion for baseball with them. It, it's just the greatest feeling in the world. Yep. Yeah. That is cool. All right. Well, guys, this was great. Um, Eric, thank you so much for, for joining us again. You, you gave us so much good stuff there. <laughs> Um, tell our listeners where they could find you on Twitter and where they could find your work. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, guys. This was a lot of fun, and especially the, this last little segment here. When I saw that on the uh, on the show outline that that Mike sent me, I was like, that was like my favorite question of the night. Honestly, obviously, I love yeah. love talking baseball, obviously, but uh, like you said, I, I, best thing I've ever done in my life is be a father. So yeah. I, I always love talking kids, talking parenting, and you know the, the ups and the downs that go along with it. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Cross zero four. I have my my Patreon, just toolshedfantasy.com. All my rankings are there. You know, I try to do you know daily or close to daily player notes and stuff like that. A lot of other uh, fun stuff there. Obviously, I, I write over FTN Fantasy and Rotoball. We're doing two articles a week at both of those sites. And the uh, the Toolshed Podcast with Chris Clegg. Still doing two episodes a week there. Probably dropping down to one fairly soon. Here's the. Uh, season gets kind of winding down but yeah just uh still still going strong we still got what six more weeks of the season let's, let's finish it strong right sounds good well we're gonna leave it there for today uh we'll be back with another episode next week um please we would love if uh you do like the show if you could give us a rating and review wherever you get your podcast we also encourage you to listen to 
the other great shows that are part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, For Eric Cross, for Mike Carter, I'm Chris Torres. You've been listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.